in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Destin Melvartis, Lizzie Haynes, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome, all you lords, ladies, and knights, to the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest, and joining me today is my good friend and co-host from the Lilac City, Mr. Brian Fry. Good evening, everybody. It's a wonderful dusk out here right now, and thank you for tuning in. And popular guest here, Miss Bears, Rebecca Fontaine. How are you doing in Austin? I am hot as crap here. It is awful. <laughs> well, <laughs> but I am good, but the, but the city is hot. Well, when the weather's awful, movies are good. That helps us go indoors for these moments. So now, Bears, please tell the listeners at home about your efforts on the AGLIF for All Genders, Lifestyles, and Identities Film Festival. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I am the artistic director of Austin's Queer Film Festival, which is in its 36th year. It's actually the longest running film festival in Austin and the fourth longest queer film festival in America. So we are about a month away from Go, which is August 23rd through the 27th. So I'm getting to do that fun thing of sending all the filmmakers like, hey, you've been accepted into the film festival letters right now, which is really nice. And we're super excited to have this year's festival. I mean, obviously, this is a crazy year to be queer in America. So to celebrate it and bring films that can bring the community together is, is really important. Great. Yeah. Now, more movies have happy endings than not. Today, we may not be venturing that direction. So in a parallel universe, Bears, you get to break up any movie couple. What movie couple would you give an unhappy ending? I mean, I think it's going to be Twilight. I mean, those those kids, like, I just don't get it. Like, I, their love seems really weird to me. Like, if he's 400 years old or whatever, when he goes to high school to pick up a high school girl, that's a little creepy. And also, Kristen Stewart, we know, we know she's gay. So, like, to have her hooked up with Robert Patterson, you know, for the rest of her life is, I think, unfortunate for all the women out there who, who want to be with Kristen Stewart. So we need to keep that you know, Stan ability to have her single. So let's break them up. So you're putting her and Ashley Green together now? Is that is that where you're going with this now? Oh, yeah, don't take that... my Ashley Green away. <laughs> <laughs> don't I mean, you dare take my exciting. Ashley Green away. <laughs> um, she, right. she did those light. She did those Life Water ads, and I was like. <laughs> and and you threw away all your other wa bottled water in an instant. No more Dawson. It's all life of, water. Of course, I'll buy that. Has Aquafina actually gotten Aquafina to do an ad? It's a lost opportunity if they haven't. <laughs> I mean, they should say they're going to sue her if she doesn't do an ad because you know it's confusing. It seems like a win-win. They like money. She likes money. Everybody wins. So, um, <laughs> Brian, who's not winning in the love life for you? What what on-screen couple are you breaking up? Mister and Missus Smith. Okay. It, it it irritated me to no end that they got back together in that. Like I needed that to just be a death to us part kind of thing. The the off screen romance didn't go too well either. So, yeah, I'm going Brett Brangelina. Okay, yep, that makes sense. Now this is kind of a loophole. I'm gonna kind of go double back on myself, but back when this happened, 
I would have broken up Marty McFly's parents again, so we could have gotten another movie out of this deal. <laughs> are, you, are, are you are you putting Marty with his mom then? No, no, I'm just saying like I, I want something else to go wrong in that relationship at the end of the third movie, so we get a fourth movie again. I don't want to do this now. Don't 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 do the Indiana Jones thing where we go back and make substandard movies decades later. But if I could have gone back in time and gotten more Back to the Future, I love those movies so much. Maybe we could have gotten the version um, with the other original Marty. Oh, yeah, you know, the guy who had it for like a week. I Believe it or not, we have not done any of those movies, and we need to fix that sometime. Oh, that's crazy. I well, I would, I would definitely be down for part two if you want to do all three of them, because part two, I think, is in the tradition of all the underrated second movies. I think it's one of the best sequels ever. This might be the hottest take of the night. I, I, I can pass on Back to the Future, all of it. I, it's uh, okay. I'll protect you and cut I, that I don't, just for your own. I, 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 I don't. I, I, for your own. For your own safety, we're we're gonna cut out that line. That I don't. I don't. I don't hate it. It's not something I'm gonna set on fire. I own them. It's it's fine. I just it's. I don't have that like cult. Like this is amazing. Ferris, what's the last movie you saw? It was Oppenheimer, actually, uh, and this and the second movie, second to last movie I saw was Barbie. So I, so technically, the last movie I saw was Barbenheimer. As most Barbenheimer, all right, come yeah. on, Bobby, let's go party. Yeah, I like I like how the movie industry has made this a thing that just wasn't there before. It's just like the food industry. At one point, said chicken and waffles, like that's a thing now. Especially because it's different studios and you never see that and they've both embraced it, you know. I know. I know. That's what I'm saying. Chicken and Waffles wasn't a thing either and then somebody said these things should go together and I was like, yeah, alright, sure. I like both those things. <laughs> French French fries and a Wendy's Frosty. I love it too. I, I love that they turned into it too. Like that's like that's how you deal with stuff like this. You turn into the skid. But the thing I like the most about it, and this is what kicked it off for me, was a pair of tweets that were released, I think, on or around the same day. One was by Ryan Gosling gushing about Barbie. He says, oh my gosh, I'm so happy I got to play Ken. It's like Greta Gerwig was 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 just speaking Ken through me, and, I, and you just got to see Barbie, and it was just gushing. And then, like, within a limited amount of time, Killian Murphy came out and <laughs> for a promo for a tweet about Oppenheimer. And it says, yeah, I think it's pretty good, I guess. <laughs> it, it, it was, it, it's just like the, the dichotomy of, <laughs> of Gosling and Killian Murphy. I just like, yay. Thank you for well, that. You, maybe you're and not so, you're not so verbose if you only eat an almond a day for three weeks. <laughs> I went to see Oppenheimer with somebody who insisted on referring to uh, Killian Murphy as Cillian Murphy. I did that for a long time, so I I have to commiserate with that person that you know. Uh, that is I also mocked him how, for that three is hours. Also, yeah, that's also how I started saying his name until I was uh, not so politely corrected. So, <laughs> okay. like, sorry. All right, Killian Murphy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the part you're mispronouncing. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, anyway, and the last movie that I saw was Elemental, which is the first movie I have seen in theaters. And since pre-pandemic for three years, Mary Grant and I, we went and we had a good time and he liked it. So a family outing in the theaters. So hopefully more of that to come in our future. So yeah, good selection. Now, Brian, what movie is it we're going to do today? We are tackling Blue is the Warmest Color. All right. This stars Leah Sidhu and Adele Exarapoulos. The release year is 2013. 
The budget is $4.2 million, not a huge budget. It grosses $2.2 million domestically. That may sound like a small showing, but worldwide, this movie does $19.5 million worldwide, which is a big return off of the budget of its size. In America, that only places it at 178. And uh, the movie placing uh, ahead of it is Old Boy, and the movie placing behind it is The Christmas Candle. Well, this is a much better movie than The Christmas Candle, that's for sure. Okay. And uh, the number one movie, the number one movie this year was Hunger Games: Catching Fires. Now, if I'm gonna guess, this movie just didn't get a wide release. This movie is going to be rated. This is an X-rated movie in America, is it not? It was uh, yeah, it was NC-17 when it came out. Although, the, although the IFC movie chain refused to give it the NC-17 rating and opened it up to, they said mature teenagers. They would let anybody in. Okay. Um, they, and there's an argument to be made that the only reason this movie was given an NC-17 rating was because the sex scene was between two women. And if it had been between a man and a woman, it, it wouldn't have gotten that. But that's something to, that I think will come up again and again as we talk about this, this movie, is, is that it seems to be rated on a different scale than many other films simply because it was 2013 and these were two women. And if you remember 2013, that's a couple of years before we made gay marriage legal. And it had, was right after gay marriage was made legal in France, which is actually where this, this oh. film is from. So technically, I would say domestically, if you want to give the domestic budget, you have to find what the domestic, what it made domestically in France, because that's that is its home audience. Which that I is true. That I is true. The number. Yeah, my numbers are American centric. And fairness, I don't know how many people show up for a movie that shows at Cannes and then, you know, has subtitles and it's, it's asking a lot of the American audience. So anyway, it it did, it does fine worldwide. In fact, it gets a lot of press and critical acclaim. So the IMDb rating gives it a 7.7. The critics of Rotten Tomatoes gives it a very high score of 88%. The audience score is just right behind it at 85%. As I mentioned, this is a CAMS film festival, Palme d'Or winner which is that is the golden palm that's the highest award that you can win at the Cannes film festival we don't often talk about movies that come from that track but this is not only the director Adelatif Kachichi, but the also the two leading actresses Lisa Du and Adele Exaropoulos both come in the judging panel was included from Steven Spielberg Anne Lang and Nicole Kidman made an unprecedented move to award this film's two main actresses the award with the director. So never before has this been done. They broke the format for how this goes. Uh, The Golden Globes gives us a nomination for Best Foreign Film. It does not win. The BAFTA Academy Awards nominated for for two awards. Rising Star Award for Leah Sidhu and Best Film Not in the English Language. The British Independent Film Award winner for Best International Independent Film, the Lumiere's Award winner for Best Director, and the Satellite Award nominee for Best Foreign Language Film, Best Actress for Adele Axaropoulos, and Best Supporting Actress for Leah Seydoux, and the Austin Film Critics Association Award winner right there next to you, Bears. I went ahead and added this in there for you, and a slew of other film awards and nominations across all things. So Best Foreign Film widely across the board this movie racked up a lot of awards that you may not list of so go to wikipedia and check out those if you want to the film was a considered for a front runner for an oscar nomination for best foreign film upon its release at ken's film festival however the film was deemed ineligible by the academy due to its late release so just bad timing i don't know how you don't just get picked up the next year but that's what i read bears had you seen this movie before
perfect time to watch it with you guys. I love it. I want to congratulate you. Very few people are bold enough to throw out movies that they haven't seen when they come on the show. So I'm going to give you some gold stars for that. So oh, thank you. That's, that's awesome. So coming to it 10 years later, which is still a lot has changed, as you mentioned, in the world. How does it feel like it's aging to you? Well, it's interesting because when it first came out, it got that instant success when it came out of Cannes. But then there was a great deal of backlash right after that. And so I feel like what has happened is the criticism that has hung over the film has sort of colored it a little bit. And I feel like now we're finally at the point where I think we can go back and appreciate the movie for what it was at the time and what it's about. You know, so now that the criticism is finally and the controversy is worn off a little bit, I feel like it's easier to appreciate the film. Yeah. Now, Brian, had you seen this one before? No, it's kind of on one of my lists of like foreign films that I swung and missed on when it came out. That's the reason when when it was presented in a short list, I was like, oh, I intended to see that film. So no, I hadn't seen this before. And how about you? What was it like for just a first time going down for you? This was a very difficult movie to watch in company. <laughs> with with a wife? Uh, wife, child. Sometimes if I get the opportunity, I have to watch movies at work. That was out. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, my biggest struggle with this was finding an appropriate time to watch it. I guess yeah. would be my way to, That's way to say it. I, I, I really, really struggled. Well, we made it. We made a date night out of it. My wife had seen it before. She was a little surprised that I hadn't, and um, so we set up a whole night to sit and watch it and enjoy it, and then and talk about it a little bit afterwards. Okay, okay. In that case, you were being, I guess, not only reassured but recommended in this case. So that's good to hear. I went in not having known about it. To be honest with you, I missed it. I missed the buzz. I missed the conversation about it, and I. Sometimes get Chad gives me a hard time for not giving movies with subtitles a chance. I admittedly am an unintellectual viewer when it comes to this. If it has subtitles, I sometimes sit there and go like, uh, yeah, but I mean, I'm going to pick this other movie instead. I, I, I do far too much Kurosawa to draw that line. Dustin and Chad will both chastise me for reaching for the American dubs and just being lazy and taking bad lip sync versions out of it. I, I'll do that. I'm not beyond that. I mean, I, I get lazy. Listen, if it's going to get you to watch the movie, I think that's better than not doing it. But you know. in this case, I did watch it. It was free on Tubi. It does. And my, I hate to sound this way, but when, it, when you make me read subtitles, I almost have to watch it a second time because all I'm doing is reading text. Maybe I'm a slow reader, but this movie lives on the facial reactions, and the close up shots and all the feels that are going on. So to me, it demanded a second viewing. I had never really heard of Tubi before, so I, I decided to give that a swing. And then given how difficult it was to section off time to, to watch it, I kind of just stuck with it. I, I may end up buying this at some point in time. I just, I, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure who I would watch it with. Like, <laughs> that's, that's fair. There, there's like, and I don't want that to come out the wrong way. I, there is a percentile of my brain that says if anybody knew you were watching this, they would get the wrong idea of why. Yep. That's fair. That's very fair. And yeah. So sure. I do yeah. feel like you're in line here to get some sponsorship money from Tuvi, though, by the way, <laughs> Listen, with all their horrible commercials. I, yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I'm already fired around that, but yeah, you might be able to. <laughs> I'm already fired. You know, I like your ads. They're great. 
All right. Uh, anyway, there'll be spoilers that lie ahead, so we will be back after these messages. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason. And this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening. All right, we're back. And for those who haven't seen Blue is the Warmest Color, with a U in the word color, since 2013. (laughs) Brian, can you please give us a refresher? Adele is a student who is trying to figure out love. After a dalliance with a young man in a grade above her, she realizes with the aid of a harmless kiss from one of her female classmates that she may be interested in something else. One day, while crossing the street, she is attracted to a short, blue-haired Emma. Adele dreams of Emma, and when a friend invites her to a club, she departs in an attempt to find her siren, which she successfully does. At this point, the introduction has been made, and she proceeds to have a platonic and then a very not-platonic relationship with Emma. They discuss all manner of things as their love grows, from Adele's dreams to Emma's desire to be taken seriously as a painter. But seeds of discourse start to grow as the much younger Adele strays into the arms of a fellow teacher. Once Emma finds out, she is furious with Adele's lies and betrayal, throwing her out of her home and out of her life. Three lonely years pass before they reconnect at a coffee house where Adele confesses her desires to be with Emma, and with difficulty, Emma denies her while still parting amicably. Adele receives an invitation to Emma's new art showing where she is reintroduced to some of the friends she had left behind. The movie closes with Adele leaving without telling anyone, walking away in a startlingly blue dress. All right. Bears, this is a lot to bite off. This movie is an expansive movie. It's a long movie. We cover a lot of ground and it it starts as a coming of age, kind of, you know, finding oneself. It develops into a romance and then it kind of has the breakdown of that. And let's talk about this as a whole journey. How is all of this going down? This is a lot to process for an audience. Yeah, I mean, you're you're following several years of a character's life. You start with her being completely unexperienced in in love at all. And she experiences this, her the most, probably what she's going to define as the most important relationship in her life. And we see it from start to finish. Three hours of movie time, we're given the time to dive very deeply both into their physical relationship and their conversational relationship. And I think we really get to know how they work and so when they do break up it is is very heartbreaking for the audience i think the length of time and the amount that the director allows us to really know these characters adds to the emotion that i think it's impossible to avoid when they start breaking because you really are with adele and and it's tragic it's very sad it's a very sad movie i mean it, and you know there's this argument of that most lesbian movies are sad the general trope is somebody dies in the movie and arguably that is what happened in the graphic novel that this is based on but this one is just sad because of the breakup 
and we get to see somebody really go through pain and go to try to get that love back and have it denied. And then we see them meet again and that possibility that maybe there's still something there. And no, that's also denied. And it's really sad. And yet you see her walk off maybe stronger for it, ready to, ready to meet the world. But, but we do see the whole life of a relationship in this film. I don't know if I'm pushing a bad thought process here, but I have two questions that I was dying to ask you guys. One, do we think Emma cheated on her current girlfriend with Adele in the first place? And two, do you think she was in the process of cheating with Lise, which started Adele's paranoia? I'm glad you brought both of these points up because it's certainly the insecurities seem to be founded. I don't want to totally justify what Adele did. You want to confront as opposed to stray. Yeah, even during the birthday scene, it was going probably far enough that, you know, I was surprised she didn't say something. Now, she's a more timid character not to say like, hey, you're uh, what's going on over there at this birthday? <laughs> you're, sorry, at this gallery party, not the birthday party. Sorry. When she very much focuses the physical nature of Lisa's is there. I really empathize a lot with Adele. Obviously, you know, infidelity is bad, but. On the other hand, I was sitting there going like, Leah Sadu's character, Emma, has not been very kind. And she's kind of run her down for being a teacher and challenged her to write and kind of challenging her like, you're not as intellectual enough for me. And then so she's running with this other crowd. And yeah, there, that insecurity is there. And once she starts spending all this time with this other, I felt pretty bad for Adele's character, especially as even she did it, she had an enormous amount of remorse for it. and. She knew that she still loved Emma. And then, honestly, Emma's reaction surprised me. That viscerally strong, hurt reaction of just like, wow. I mean, yeah, this is unfortunate. If you want to call it quits, but I mean, you did pave the road to this sad ending. So that's actually one of the parts of the movie that I enjoyed the most in terms of the realism of this, because I had loaded up both barrels with Emma's going to break this quiet girl's heart. Like, I had decided that from square one. Like, that's what's going to happen. And it's going to be a, an ageism thing. It's going to be, I'm older than you. I'm wiser than you. I'm moving on because you're not enough for me. Like, I had prepared myself completely. Like, I would have put money that that was what was going to happen. I absolutely loved that it wasn't. That aspect that it was actually Adele that, that instigated it. But that's also why I asked the question. Because I want to know, do you guys think that the demons, the devils on her shoulder were right saying, oh, she's cheating on you. Oh, you're not good enough. Do you think that they were right? Or do you think that's just what they were? And that that visceral reaction from Emma was more a, I would never have done this to you. Yeah, I, I think it was a little bit she protests too much. I definitely feel that Emma was cheating on Lise in the, in, the, in the very first instance with Adele, and that's why they broke up. And now we're seeing her cheat on Adele with her ex-girlfriend. I think they had already cheated by the time they got to that birthday party, and they were certainly cheating when it came to the, the, ga the gallery party. You know, you were talking about, is this, is this going to be an obvious like breakup because of the ageism, you know, and, and being older and wiser. I also think you can't avoid the issues of class in this. Emma is a well-to-do, she's upper class, she's well-educated, she's in this artsy sort of elite set. Her parents are very supportive of her and of her sexuality. And that's completely different different from Adele 
And so it's not her world. And like you said, that Emma was like ashamed to be dating a school teacher. You know, she wanted Adele to fit in with her crowd, but Adele just slips into being sort of the homemaker at that party, that birthday party, which is really, it's it's sort of sad. It it broke my heart. She was she did all the cooking, and she was really trying to be the supportive partner, but that was all she had to talk about. She didn't understand those people. She was left out of conversations, and she was supposed to be there to support her girlfriend and Emma could have cared less about her at that party. And that that's how you knew it was over, I think. So I, I definitely think that Emma cheated and I, it doesn't make what Adele did any better, but it does make Emma's slut shaming of her pretty awful because I, that, I think it's like, it bo- it's almost bullying in that scene when she breaks up with her. You, you don't have to be that. I got the gist that Amimba's anger was actually largely driven from the fact that she was with a man. And I don't think she would have been as angry she's been with another woman yeah that was my next question does it make it worse that it was with a man it does for emma when in reality i don't think it should i mean you just you know you're you're two people you're together i mean it's gonna hurt no matter who it's with in my opinion i mean i mean there is a there is a very real thing by erasure which is that it's very big in both sides of sexuality uh, whether it's two gay men and or two lesbian women not understanding that it's possible that one of the partners could be bisexual and then being more outraged when when that happens like i'll never forget the scene in chasing amy when joey lauren adams announces that she's uh with a guy and the first reaction from her friends is oh we lost another one that's sort of where emma goes right away here is like i do think that she was more offended that that it was with a man but i think that's also like emma wanted to be like i turned you into this into being a lesbian and so you know if you turn back it almost means like I wasn't able to fully convert you or something. I don't know. Emma is very power hungry. She wants to have control over every aspect of Adele's life. So I think she would even like to have control over who she cheated on her with, you know, in that in that sort of regard. I think there's truth to that. I absolutely revere Chasing Amy as a film. Super happy you brought that up. But the one thing in terms of that party that we were talking about a little bit earlier, that reminded me so much of John Cusack and Catherine Zeta-Jones in High Fidelity. That entire sequence. I mean, I know he wasn't like making dinner and everything, but him just sitting there with that look on his face, that entire scene where he's just like, I have no idea what these people are talking about. And just <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. It was sadder in this case than it was in High Fidelity. But yeah, yes. I think it's a very good Well, and I, I think too, like to get back to the class thing, you have to understand that the director is French Tunisian, which means he's approaching French culture from an outsider perspective. And he's very much understanding the differences in French society between someone who has been welcomed into the elite circles and somebody who has to push their way in. And, you know, he was attracted to this project specifically because he wanted to tell a story of the school teacher. It had nothing to do with the queer angle, even though he is queer. It had more to do with the wanting to tell the class story. So I think you really have to approach the film with that in mind a little bit to understand what's going on between the characters. I want to go back to the beginning third of this movie. It's an entire act of this movie. It really resonated with me early on because I'll be honest with you, this is a unique movie viewing for me and maybe we'll have more of this going in the future, but Watching Adele's character come to terms with her own sexuality was kind of emotionally impactful. Not realizing where she falls in the spectrum and then trying and giving a go, feeling the pressure from her friends saying like, I guess I need to like this boy. He's really, you know, this, this is a good deal. Like this, you know, this is what I'm supposed to like and kind of trying to force it. The anger she feels with herself of just, I don't want to be different. She knows the ostracism that's about to ensue and, and she's right. 
we we see it and it's very hard to watch somebody get bullied we grew up in a time when that just wasn't okay and just wasn't okay and and i honestly as somebody who just i just was able to put myself in their shoes and empathize a lot with that situation and they're going like wow this is terrible that somebody would sit there and berate you that much and make you feel that bad my heart just really crushed in that scene you know when her friends were just ganging up on her it's just like this is bullying's always bad but this felt particularly like man this isn't safe i'm on an island right now you can't go home and talk to your parents about it in adele's case what a hard position to be in i think the world's changing and i hope that this movie's important it captured I think what would have been a very difficult thing to establish as a, or sorry, to experience as a young person. And boy, the realism of this movie, it feels very real at times. It's clinically real and you know, this, it lacks style at times, but on the other hand, it's just so viscerally real. And the first third of this movie just instantly made me sit there and go like, wow, I'm feeling a lot of stuff for this character, things that I don't admittedly think about very often and it'll become confronted with. So that's a powerful thing for a movie to do. Yeah, I was just going to mention one of the reasons why it feels so real. And we can talk more about this when we talk about the acting, but it's very naturalistic because so many of the sequences are improvised. And the director encouraged the actresses to throw out the dialogue and just say what they how they would say it and left the camera on for long amounts of time and basically just captured moments. And one of the reasons why Adele's character ended up being named Adele is because <laughs> because they kept screwing up saying her actual name when they were when they were rehearsing. And so they just decided to change the character's name. Two things on all that. One, I was just desperate for the one friend just haul off and hit that girl in the face. I wanted to see her get knocked out. There were a couple of them I really wanted to see knocked out. <laughs> it wasn't just one. No, the, the, the one that was really instigating that fight. It's, were, it's really the last scene of the high school. Over. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I know I'm probably not supposed to say that as a male, but like if another female character could have drilled her, that would have made me immeasurably happy because just the visceral hatred that I have for people that act that way, like, especially because, you know, I get that you've had sleepovers and whatnot, but I would have said the same thing if it were two gay men or, or a, a gay man getting the same treatment. It's just, it's, it's such an unfair thing to just assume that every thought that they have is a, an attraction piece to you. And it's, it's frankly arrogant to think like that you're her type. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, there's just, there's so much to that that's wrong. And I, that, yeah, I, I, maybe I shouldn't be advocating violence, but, but if, if somebody like maybe the girl she shared that one kiss with, if she just like hauled off and slugged her, that would have been awesome for me. <laughs> no, but I mean, that was, that was very true. The hatred was very real and pointed there. It's interesting. We talk about how real this is a good portion of the be real footage of was just, Adele and Leah Sadu, you know, actually in real time, kind of out of character, and the camera would just catch her doing things, particularly Adele, while they were on set. And during the footage, they kept calling her Adele, and the director liked her name and what it meant, like the Greek meaning behind it. And so the character's name in the graphic novel is Clementine, and there's an orange tone that goes with Clementine's character, contrasting the blue tone that we have of Emma. In the graphic novel, this is a bigger deal. There are still lighting tones and stylistic decisions. They give Adele warmth 
when when they show her and they again things become cooler with when as she becomes with Emma as well the mood obviously affects the color tones as well uh, when they're in the park and they're falling in love it's very it's all you know it's picturesque it's it's just serene it's on cloud nine it's, it feels like you're falling in love you know at the breakup scene it's it's fluorescent it's it's white it's you know it's it's cold and it feels unsafe less sheltered so it's interesting the director does such a good job not only with the characters and doing all that but to use the lighting and to change throughout the mood. This is a long movie. You have a lot of range of emotions to show, and they did that very well. Even if, you know, the character of Clementine is not as overtly orange as Emma is literally blue. Yeah, it's interesting that Emma's hair color changes. That's almost kind of when she's not as warm to Adele, is it when she loses the blue the blue hair. That's when we start to see some, some change. There's a three-year jump in the story there, and that's when that occurs. Yeah. Yeah, I actually remember the other thing I was going to say when you're talking about the, the, the rough approach to some of the filming of this. I actually think that its lack of stylism is its style. It is. And th- that's what this director is known for. Uh, I'll get into one thing that bothered the crap out of me on this later in our superlatives. But uh, yeah, other than that, yeah. In preparation for the roles, Emma, as Leah Sidhu, attended painting classes, sculpture classes, Abdella Kachifi. He made them spend an enormous amount of time with them, going to museums, filming to, to dive into these characters. He kept challenging Leah to pick up masculine characteristics. And so she would go looking for kind of these masculine characters to pay attention to how they're walking, whether it be Marlon Brando and James Dean and their traits. And, and this is how she, I mean, the immersive nature they both were heavily awarded for this, but I mean, I just want to insist, this is not just an acting gig. They didn't just come and do this. This is almost a year in the making. It's not necessarily method acting, but it's deeply immersive. Talking about this constantly, what would this character do? There's a level of care and it's ambitious. He really put them through a lot. I don't mean like I was made you swim in cold water, put them through a lot, but I mean, emotionally demanding a lot of asking them to get into character from this this goes well beyond reading a book or two it's very demanding the more you read into it and i have to say it seems over the top but the acting performances are just so genuine it's not just the filming it's not just the director i just don't feel like i'm watching leah sadu i've seen leah sadu be in bond or mission impossible this is just this is emma to me characters are who they are playing yeah it isn't lost to me too that we're watching and talking about this movie in the midst of the sag actor strike and to think about the kind of time and respect that acting profession is given in a country like france versus here and the amount of you know i mean actors aren't even paid for prep time in in america and under the sag rules so you know these girls were on salary in preparation for this movie now probably not a lot of money because there's they were young and and it was 10 years ago but still that respect for getting the performances right you know it just can't be denied that there's a certain craft sometimes to european filmmaking that it is hard to replicate in america when we're so much capitalistic driven and thinking about product i mean if you're putting a movie like this out and you're spending you know two and a quarter million on it and you're not expecting to really make much back that's just a different energy. It's 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 more of a, you know, a project of love rather than how much churn can we get as we sell the burger placement rights to this latest Marvel movie for the tie-in, you know. <laughs> 
But yeah, this is not that for sure. I thought it was great that in just in casting them, Adelix Erebulos is 18, which is given the demanding nature of what they're going to be doing in terms of their intimate scenes, that's as young as you're going to be able to go. And Leah Sadu is 27. I like the age difference in the casting. The more and more I get older, the more and more you sit there and go like, these 90s movies where this like 35 year old person is playing a high school student i don't like it i just i mean even i remember even being a young teenager sitting there going like is that what people are gonna look like in high school and like i mean just it's one of those things it's just like you know i believe there are young people who can have talent when properly directed and channeled and it does irk me when you get some people in their 30s playing teenagers and um you know if it's a tv show and you've been doing it for 12 years i, I think that's a valid excuse but it doesn't work that quite frankly like most of the time. So I'd like to see the age difference. They, they, they cast it well. Leah Sadu came from family that, you know, in hindsight, the director liked her because of her upper class background. She, you know, this is like a quote unquote, there's parts of her upbringing that just prepared her to be right for this role. And I mean, that's just a level of consideration with the casting. That's just, again, it's, it's tremendous. They were both excited to do this because Adela Katif has great notoriety. We don't necessarily pay attention to his name here in America as often, but in his circle as a filmmaker in Europe, this is a big-time director. Yeah, he had already won the César Award, which is the French version of the Oscar twice for directing when, when he made this film. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I think we got to talk about this. I mean, one of the things that gets this movie attention is an enormously... It's, it's a lot of intimate scenes that are very long and very show-all. There's a harshness almost to it. It's not necessarily stylized to be warm and loving, it's, again, so real. It's almost like two people just burst into your dorm room and you're just sitting there in the other bunk, like right next to them, and they don't realize you're there. Like, I mean, it's like, it's there's something almost voyeuristic about it as a viewer. I did want to talk about this. I, I wouldn't say they're going for titillation here. They, you feel their love, you feel it's very real. But on the other hand, this is not American cinema. Clearly, there's, let's talk about this. This is one of the things that people do talk about. This is what gets it so much attention. I don't know if that's what this movie wants its attention for, but it does get a lot of attention because of an enormous amount of intimacy. I mean, as a film director myself, I have to say, you don't put that much sex in a movie without hoping that that's going to get some of the attention, you know? Like, there is a certain factor of a director making a choice. You know, we don't ever see Emma cheat, so we don't really know that, and that's part of his intention. But, you know, we do see Emma and Adele have a lot of sex, so that is also his intention. That's what he wants us to see. You know, he's in control of what's on the screen. And, you know, the main sex scene in this, when they first come together is six and a half minutes long it's very graphic it's very beautiful i think it's very well shot and you know it feels real it almost is, i mean it almost is real i mean i think that but i still think it's done very artfully I, I don't think it was done for titillation even though there was some accusation about it being what people would call the male gaze and that's easy to identify with it being a, a male director, having control over the, these two, especially one very much younger woman. But I don't think that changes how beautiful it is and how titillating it is for an audience. And I'm going to say for a lesbian audience too. I've talked to many lesbians who love this film. One of them told me that this movie was her queer awakening film. It was like the first film that she saw that was about people having a relationship like she wanted to have. And I think it's great that somebody would get to see that relationship reflected on screen. And that is not just 
seeing people talking and having dinner in a restaurant. It's it's about seeing, you know, the sexual aspect of that, that relation too. It, it normalizes it. And I just think that when you had such a controversy about it in 2013, you can't escape the political ramifications of taking a, a lesbian scene and just throwing it on screen and being like, hey, this is this is 2013, you know, welcome to the new world. This is okay. And if it bothers you, then you're old and out of date. I have a, a slightly different take on the length and the number of scenes between the two of them. I think it really comes into making the end scene at the coffee shop more powerful because she's basically like dancing around. Is she as good as I am? <laughs> and Emma's like, no, she's grasping as well. She knows that they've been very passionate. She wants her back. Bad. Well, no, 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 I get that. I'm just saying everything she had to try to get her back. But the bottom line is, is, is she as good as I was? And the answer to that was definitely no. Like you could tell by, you know, Emma's desire to be with her again. Uh, her head overrode her heart there. I think that the reason, the length and the amount of that goes into saying like, yeah, but we had passion. Yeah. Like maybe I didn't have the art knowledge that you wanted and this, that, and the other, but we had this. And that is very important. I Like that as a piece of a relationship is important. And also I'm 18 or 21 or, you know, whatever the age is as, as they move through. I mean, you can't necessarily blame somebody for not having the same level of intellectual sure. you know, discourse when they're Absolutely. nine years younger than you. I mean, come on. Right. Right. I think there's also one of these things where when I first read it, it was like it took 10 days to shoot one of the intimate scenes. And you're like, this is pretty excessive. And it does feel a bit exploitive at times, to be honest with you. It's a three hour movie and it's over 20 minutes of it is sex. Really? I'm not even sure that that counts. I didn't do a minute timer myself. I got that stat off of the Internet. I'm not sure if that counts. The there's a sad, intimate encounter with her and Thomas before, like when she realizes, like, I'm trying to have fun here. Like that was a very sad scene. The lights weren't turning on for her. And I loved that they showed him crying because he really liked her when they, when they broke up, by the way. Like there's just something that's real. Like of like this character who will be removed from the movie in the first quarter of the movie is given such depth and character that that was so good in its own right. And I thought that that scene was just perfect. But some of the other ones, as, as Fry had mentioned, like there was a length of it that just made me think of like, what are they doing? Like, uh, I mean, is this like the director's cut or something like that? I've got at least 40 yards of insulation from the street to my large screen television, and it all has trees, and I've never been thankful for that more than watching <laughs> this movie. I No, dude, I'm telling you, like, I got to wait till they all go to bed, and, and I'm wanting to go to bed, so I'm like doing this in pieces, and I'm watching this, and I'm like, I just put the disclaimer. I just put the disclaimer out there. What I was watching ahead of time to Mary. Oh no, no, I told her about it and everything. I, I'm doing that. Like, I don't want like a trick or treater to come up to my house or something. You know what I mean? Like, oh my god. I guess. Like, I, guess I guess we didn't put uh, the disclaimer out there. You should. You should. You should at least let somebody know what it is you're watching ahead of time, just so that you know uh, you don't get walked in on the room and be like, "So, do you need to be alone or something?" So, like, what if UPS is running late? Like, I don't know. I just. I don't know. And, and, and there is there there is a, a a large percentage of brain that was saying, I don't feel like I should be watching this. I think because it is so intimate. But then the other question is, would audience have felt the same way if it had been a man and a woman? And I think in 2013, the argument is 
it's a very it was a very different experience you know that and it was it, it was i remember we covered fatal attraction i remember there were some scenes that i thought were not necessarily directed very well there they showed them off and i felt like they lost their tone when they were doing some of their intimate scenes whereas contrast that with like we covered true romance man those were loving scenes like something about like it was very stylized tony scott totally turned on the lights and the music and the shadows and you, it's what you don't see and all that stuff just felt like a very loving scene and it was a really good intimate scene i thought it's funny when he talked about it, he's just like everybody's done these you know it's hard to do them and put your own spin on them and like he was like just being like this whole thing's a cliche i had to do it and i was like yeah but you did it so well why are you talking about it this way in the commentary here it's like again the, the lighting's just so natural that like, they don't have excessive amount of makeup. The wardrobe is very, well, there's no wardrobe at all necessarily, unless you talk about prosthetic private parts, which the camera doesn't hide. You know what I mean? Like it, 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 it zooms in on very explicit things. So we as Americans are just not used to this. And I'm going to just chalk it up to Europeans are stunned. Americans will tolerate the amount of violence, abuse, particularly towards women or blood or carnage that we have in movies and they do sit there and they go like that's kind of messed up america and america will sit there and look at european films and sit there and go like that's a lot of sex europe like that's pretty heavy and there is just the difference in culture and i have to admit like you were talking about it like there's an embarrassment in watching this but adele the actress mentioned like this is not necessarily every european film but there's a sensibility to it that isn't such a huge deal here yeah. And, and I can take that. I can take that criticism. That's fair. But two things. One, if this had, if I had watched a six minute male female sex scene, yeah, at some point in that, I'm starting to think this is. Yeah, same thing. Is this the director's cut or is this like the, uh, you know? I think that as men, especially this day and age, the knee jerk reaction, the judgment on being caught watching that. And I'm going to say being caught because that's, that's what would, what it would, equate to if you gave no warnings whatsoever and somebody walked in and you're watching that scene there is a immediate and very damning judgment that happens yeah on the other hand too like there's this other stereotype that a guy can't sit there and watch a romance movie necessarily i actually enjoyed the heck out of this thing it's crushing at the end but the realism and the depth of the characters you just don't get that in every movie i wanted a sequel very badly like i hate where this movie ends by the way oh i was i was a hundred percent behind it 100%. You've driven me three and a half hours up to this point. I'll stay for another half an hour. Like, like where's this? You know, like, you right. know, I need blue is still the warmest color, even bluer, or like, you know, 50 shades <laughs> of blue. Like, I need, I will come back. I will watch Adele into her middle age. She will always be haunted by her love for Emma, but I want to know how she gets her groove back. And like, I need to know, like, where her life goes, even if it is kind of a, like, a, I bumped into you in a gallery like in another 20 years and sit there and go like, you're like, hey, you were the one that got away kind of thing. So like, I, I don't know. It's very unsettled where this movie finishes for me. The second part of what I was going to say in terms of the nudity aspect and the sex aspect in European films, I did a great deal of studying European advertising for school and there's nudity in their orange juice commercials. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it is very commonplace so the nudity thing isn't maybe so shocking as the elaborate sex that is happening and 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 that may be true of a lot of european film too but i do think that there's maybe a, a little departure there between like a, a a british trojan condoms ad than than what was going on in this one it was a vehicle it served a purpose i don't have a problem with it my only big 
trepidation with it is viewing it through the lens of I'm going to do a podcast where I have to talk about this. <laughs> and and the entire time I'm thinking in my head, I would get like if I showed up to this movie, I feel like I'd have people looking at me in theaters like, why is that guy here? That's a weird thing. Like that's a weird thing. For me. I kind of, I kind of felt. That. I went to a Tegan and Sarah concert. I, I had more than one person come up to me and being like, uh, "What are you doing here?" It's like, um, "Well, I, I like Tegan and Sarah. You brought your wife to a Tegan and Sarah concert. Like, it's like, look, I like their music. Okay, like, it's like I, I can, I can just enjoy this. Okay, hey, shouldn't we all be more accepting?" <laughs> like, like, I, 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 and for for the record, I like Tegan and Sarah too. I, I just, it, I just feel like I think one of the biggest learning experiences from watching this film was the guilt I felt for watching this film. Like it was a very real thing, and I was like, why do it? Like I, I'm curious. Have you guys ever seen Friends with Benefits with Mila Kunich and uh, and Justin Timberlake? I have, but I regret it. I did not enjoy it. No, I, I, I saw the other one. I saw No Strings Attached with... Uh, I saw that too. I saw that one. Uh, because that film has the uh, an equally long sex scene. It's it's the it's regarded as the longest sex scene um, in, in Hollywood. Yeah, it's five minutes. I'm reading it's oh, wow. five minutes and 40 seconds. So Didn't even hear about that. And that came out in 2011. So that's a couple years before this. I was just curious because I don't remember there being any controversy about that at all. I, you know. This is a much better movie than that. Yes. Oh, it's uh, by miles. Uh, no, I've never seen it. There is. I, I, I am brought. It does bring up thoughts of Last Tango in Paris with Marlon Brando, and there's some issue that the controversy about those sex scenes. I mean, they're long too, but it's also just that he's like 25 years older than the woman that he's with. The amount of everybody having to look through Titanic for one topless scene of just like, is this okay? Like, I mean, like there's like this this whole big epic movie, like this is a cinematic masterpiece, like. And like the, the, the parental discussion of when it came out of just like, is this okay? Like, and I mean, so no, I mean, I think just I'm experiencing the American guilt that Brian is talking about. Well, I, I think you can have different, it depends on situation. Like my guilt on this was more that I'm, I'm a voyeur on something deeply personal, which yes. is probably what I was meant to feel. Yes, I think and so. That's, I think, and that's yeah. fine. But then you t- like take a movie like Requiem for a Dream with some of the scenes in that, which are reluctance to the point of near rape. And, and I've still not done that, by the way. You've don't, don't, it. please you, don't. You, you, I, I, I've, I cannot warn you enough to you, not you, watch you've that me movie. thoroughly. So I, 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 I wish I could unsee that movie, but you know, there were, there was even a, a scene in the movie derailed with Clive Owen and Jennifer Aniston, where I left the theater. I was like, I felt like I was having a heart attack watching this attack scene. And I, like, there are things that get shown for reactions and that sort of thing. But sometimes you just got to be like, I, I got a piece on this one. Part of that pushback, though, that Barris was mentioning much earlier in the show was the directorial practices. It's not just the intimate scenes. Like they would do a walk by scene in the street a hundred times. They would shoot over 800 hours of footage for the whole movie. So, yes, if you isolate the story to the 20, hours. 22 minutes of like intimate scenes in here, it does sound excessive. It does sound that way. But he's at least consistent in regards to telling you to like eat that scone like 20 times, you know I mean? Like he's uh, weirdly obsessive. And we, we saw this with Stanley Kubrick and some other movies. And also the director was pretty hard on his actress, that's Shelley Duvall in the shining. And it's like, wasn't quite as an abusive relationship as that. But I mean, 
yeah, the, the actresses were pushed to the breaking point and it was embarrassing to do these shoots. They, they are friends. I mean, so, I mean, you know, just as an actress to be able to do that and shooting all of that, it's difficult. And again, none of that shows. They're so well prepared. And they're so immersed in it that the people crying out and saying how indecent this was and the pain that they went through and I feel like to some degree, the results are pretty much there. I can't say that it's presented in a tasteless way. It might seem excessive in the moment and some editing could be done to trim it down. But I think the context of what it is, I think there's a sermon saying it's like, how do you know it's pornography? You know it when you see it. And this is not that. Yeah, I, and I think also if you're going to talk about the like the kind of lushness and intensity of the film and you're going to just focus on the the sex, you're missing out on the fact that there's probably equally amount of footage of them eating in this film and the, and food becomes such a big metaphor. There's, you know, how to eat oysters is such a, it's, you know, such a sexual moment. And then there's like, you know, Adele, you know, what likes fat on her ham, you know, and there's, there's just all this kind of stuff about enjoying the best things in life. And she makes, she cooks food and they, and they, even the big breakup scene, you know, they're eating or, and then at the, at, they meet up for dinner. I mean, and she will only have a coffee, you know, I mean, it's just, there's food references throughout this film. And I think that that is part of the experience is that we're diving into enjoying life. You know, one of the ones that got me was the stress eating. Like when she was emotionally laying back on her bed crying and she grabs like a snack out of like a plastic wrapper in her bedroom and eats it like as like a comforting thing. of just like movies don't show that a lot. I mean, I guess romantic movies will just show like, let's have some ice cream on the couch or whatever. But this showed the emotional side of what that really actually is. You're right. Adele's relationship through food this actually does show how she's feeling towards things. Everybody kept talking about how good her spaghetti was. I have to say, I was like, I kind of want to try that spaghetti. <laughs> I actually wanted to eat spaghetti right after that. Yeah, totally. I don't know that I've ever had a film. I, I don't want to call this a teen film. I know their ballpark age difference and whatnot. But there was a point in time when I first started working in the book industry where I picked up a couple of borderline, I'm not going to call it full on teen romance, but a couple borderline romance aspect books. And I was surprised at, at how many emotions those books invoked in me of being in high school, of being in love, that new the chase, the the loss and that sort of thing. Like I was surprised at how much that did for me. This is the first and only movie that has done that. Hmm. Wow. I love, I, I mean, love that. So I, I've had several books do it, but this is the first film that did it. Yeah. I don't want to take this away from it because it clearly means a lot to people. At some point, I just lost track of that. This is a lesbian relationship. And these were just two people in love and struggling and then falling apart. It transcended that label if the movie had just been the first act it would have been a pretty powerful movie in its own right as just that but the last two-thirds of this movie don't really operate under that point it just it's, it's a relationship between two people it's healthy to probably normalize it and from that standpoint but it, it did make you feel that way you know so i did want to talk about the french setting when you talk about france this movie almost underglams france this very much normalizes france i mean yes there's the Le Piscine Museum that's really like a nice moment. And then that park where Adele and Emma meet. But this is Lyle Nord, France. This isn't Paris. There's scenes in Brussels as well. 
there's differences and I think there are little novel differences between America and Europe that we can enjoy. Like, you know, there's some differences in just how the high school kind of works and behaves and how they interact with themselves, their clothes and things like that. European sensibilities. However, I would say a lot of the Frenchness of it, if you will, in parentheses or, or air quotes, is downplayed in this. I was expecting, again, it's, it's going for realism so much so that it downplays Paris is a glamorous city. You know, I mean, yeah. like, you see it. Yeah, no, I mean, they kept a lot of the scenes in people's houses, <laughs> in bedrooms, and and everything is shot very close. I mean, I'm thinking about the party scene where Adele's cooked for everybody. That I don't, I have a hard time even visualizing what was just outside of frame there because everything is shot. So, so they were in, probably in a really gorgeous back garden of a French home, but we barely saw that setting because that's not what's important because that's what we think about. We think about the settings, right? But the people in the character, the characters are just thinking about each other and their placement towards each other. So it's very focused on, um, but just staying with inside that the relationship rather than how they interact with the scenery and then the setting. It's, it is interesting to see that. Yeah. I thought the most French things that they were doing, like there was the bus scene that seemed very French and like when her and Thomas are on a date, what they're eating, like how they like, as the movie goes on, I feel like I'm just watching people who are in, not French, but like the art world. I'm not going to be as extreme to say that this could have been New York, but I'm just impressed that they downplayed the French nature of it. And maybe it's because Abdelkati might just be from another place. Like you said, he's an outsider himself, but I guess part of that is normalizing this and bringing this Adele's not from that world. So we're not walking around this beautiful fairy tale land of Paris. Now we're not walking by the Eiffel Tower and all that stuff. So it's not midnight in Paris. Like, like exactly. Like Owen Wilson, like that movie is just like, Oh God, I want to go to France. <laughs> this is super charming. This is not that this is not a travel ad for come to France. Well, yeah, of course not. It's not about a location. This is about people. Exactly. You know, I'm sure the French people are not like, let's go out and we'll kiss on the Eiffel Tower. It'll be wonderful. No, it's let's go down to our favorite club and we're going to dance. And then I'm going to go to work tomorrow and I'm going to do everything in my power. The Arc de Triomphe is probably like Costco to them. Like, I'm going to avoid that like the plague if I can. So, yeah, I think it's, it's about the French. If it's not about France, it's about the French and, and exactly. life there, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I exactly. That. They shot this and not in Paris, basically. That's a that's a move. I mean, if you just walk around Paris, it is dripping with charm and history all over the place. So it is a conscious move to your point, Brian. Yeah, but you don't drive out into like suburban Paris. You're not like, hey, I'm going to check out Flag Street three quarters of a mile away from Momar or something like that. Like, that's just not what you're going to do when you're in Paris. No, but like in contrasting, like when we did Sleepless in Seattle or like Empire State Building's a big fairy tale like moment or more to the point, Valentine's Day when we covered that, like the whole thing just seemed like, isn't the whole world wonderful? <laughs> like, you know, but, so. but that's that's what makes this a classier film than everything you just mentioned. Well, Valentine's Day is a different kind of movie. There's no doubt about it. That's a, yeah. You I go mean, to- I think one could, if you wanted to stereotype, one could could say that Emma is very French in her view of relationships, and you know, and how dedicated she should be, and and she just wants to just move on from Sabine to uh, Adele to Lyle to you know, it's just it's a French view of love, I guess. She she um, strikes me as someone who always has a plan B. Yeah, she's a user, I think. I mean, I I mean, one of the things I come away from this film with sadness from is just how 
used that I think Adele feels at the end of that. This relationship, like I said, it was the most important relationship maybe that Adele will ever have. It's not for Emma. I don't think that it's not even top five, probably. I mean, maybe it's the best sex she ever had. She, you know, but but in the grand scheme of things, it was only a few years and and she has moved on. And yeah, I don't know. It just it, I think Emma just takes advantage of her. Cook for me, clean for me, be my support system so I can get ahead in, in art. And you're just some little school teacher. I think she learns a lesson. Perhaps it's unsaid, but she's with a woman who has had a child. She's helping raise a three-year-old in this. I believe that she has probably matured and settled down to some degree going forward from here. I don't know if it's just what I expect from the ages of the characters as they're going forward, but I think inside she has known that she has caused some of what had happened to Dell to go away, and there's regret that she has. You can kind of tell when they meet together again of there's a sadness of like, I did like you, and you're special to me. You'll always be special, and that's a conflicted feeling. I'm not going to go out with you again. I can't go back there. But it is hard. You're kind of suckering me back in like because of how special you were to me. That's something very real about that. Yeah. It's a very mature way to break up and to say, like, you've impacted me. You've shaped me. You've changed my view on the world. And for that, I'm grateful. I think a movie that's like that is uh, Her, which is another great movie. It's a long, slow burn. And the message of that one of like saying, like, hey, thank you for everything, even though we're not together anymore. That is a very grown up lesson to have to take in. And that's a very mature thing that, quite frankly, a lot of people don't have. But yeah, and that's where she eventually reaches, right? But like her method of breaking up with her is not mature at all. Oh, I mean, it's, that it's was emotional. terrible and 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 so mean. And I and I think that that has to come from a place of like that that guilt that we're not seeing as to whether or not she cheated on her or not, you know. But she's overreacting because that's the only way she can break off this relationship. Probably because the sex is so good, you know. She's trying to make it impossible. For them to be together, she is so awful mm-hmm. in that scene. It it, it is emotional abuse. Oh, um, it, yeah, it, it's getting close to physical too. Uh, but they're pushing yeah. her out, so I mean, it's close. The only caveat I will make to that is if there's a lot of conjecture here on what Emma is and is not doing, but if her only crime is being passively neglect i guess maybe is the best word for this is neglecting some of adele's needs and adele stepping out and having a relationship on the side no matter how much she protests it means nothing it's a dark place i can only speak very mildly from experience because it only happened to me once and i was very young but some people don't have a filter for that anger. And I can't bring myself to completely damn Emma if the situation was lined up correctly where she really was the victim of a serious relationship cheating incident. And that's good filmmaking because we were talking about, we've talked a lot about these questions. That, that's good to not spoon feed people everything. And Adele's, you know, in being a younger person she's not getting that she can't fix it that it's not just going to be a hug and an i'm sorry she pushes the interaction some people have it within themselves to forgive the person in that situation some people don't but it, but it gets incrementally worse for emma the more she tries to belittle the act as not a big deal like 
you see the things that mm -hmm. Adele is saying is stoking the fire, not fixing it. And I believe that is a thing too. Yeah. And I feel for her because I've been in my own arguments before where you're desperately grasping for straws and you're right. High in sight, you'll sit there and come back and be like, ah, I was digging my hole way deeper. I can't like, I can't put this, this damning piece on Emma for that interaction because this is, we're presumably what, four years into this relationship. And I think it's six. six? She's 15 when we meet her. And then she graduates from college and stuff. She has her 18th birthday before they go to like the second act. And then there's a lot of time passes. They mentioned we have a three-year-old daughter and she was just pregnant before. So I believe that's a three-year jump and another three-year jump, if I'm doing my math right. I guess all I'm saying is that's some heavy stuff in a yeah. very serious relationship. It doesn't get to just be this relationship was powerful for Adele. Yeah. Like that's not fair. No, no matter what Emma's ancillary issues with doing what she needs to be to be a good partner, that doesn't change the feelings she would still have at that sort of infraction. Yeah. As far as the soundtrack go, I thought it was pretty interesting. The drum player and the character of Thomas was, this was suggested the actor who plays him actually does make some of the music that we have in this movie. So that's kind of a fun thing. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of movie where you you don't notice the music unless unless they're at a dance club or something like that. In general, I, I sort of, it just washes over you. I felt we were in a European movie, in fairness. Yeah. This didn't make my change one thing, but being my favorite European music genre, I think you could have done with a little bit more trip hop. All right. Why don't we get into some superlatives, you guys? Let's go. Sounds good. All right. Bears, who is your MVP? I mean, this is easy. It's our lead actress. It's Adele. She gives one of the best performances I, I think I've ever seen in a coming-of-age film. It's so real. It's so heartbreaking when she's hurt. And and it's it's so intense when they're in the sexual act, you know? I mean, you can't you can't deny the fact that that scene is unbelievable in terms of like, I mean, it's so good. And I still feel like it's the same actress throughout. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like she's able to do everything in this movie, everything that she was asked to do, she can do. And like you said, I want to see the sequel. I want to know what happens to the rest of Adele's life. I think it's because, you know, she really pulls us through this whole film and, and this performance is one of my favorites. It was great. I, I want to put a really intense question to both of you. If this entire movie was shot from Emma's perspective, how would it have changed it for you? I mean, that's very different. Yeah. I mean, well, first of all, we would know if Emma cheated. So I think that would change our entire opinion on that on that breakup. But I don't think Emma is as not as interesting or as lovable of a character simply because of the background. I mean, Emma is coming from a rich family. She's got parents who support her and, and who support her coming out. And she so she doesn't have the roadblocks that, that Adele has. Okay. You know, with something you're on something, Emma is a formed character. She is a lesbian. She's proud. She's established. She's gone through her journey. She knows who she is. She's massively confident. She's what Adele kind of in some ways, there's a reason she's enamored by her. Like, you know, she's almost like heroic to her. Whoa, you can do this. Like, you know, you're, you're, you're kicking down my doors for me of like, I think you're right. Emma's movie would have a very different start much earlier if, if you wanted to, if you will. But I mean, um, there's the coup characters are so different. Adele is unformed and finding out about herself in this. I just feel like it's a misnomer to not take into account what Emma's been through. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, she's just more formed when we meet her. That's all. Sure. I'm just saying that if you did this from Emma's perspective, let's say that the film was much more backlog, say act one and two got you to Adele. And then because you don't have to spend as much time on Adele 
that act three piece would be quicker just her you know that piece and what she's struggling with i don't know it could be a very short movie it could just be like hey i'm here with this chick and hey that adele chick's pretty hot i'm gonna go with her now <laughs> I, I, yeah, she's a serial cheater i think i don't know I'm, I'm sorry i'm not i'm not on team emma no no that's fine and, and and i agree because that's why i brought it up because the entire time i was predisposed to believing adele and not believing emma like the yeah. whole movie that was where i was at so that caused me to give pause for a minute and say, okay, what if I've got this wrong? This is a movie that has really enjoyed doing what I didn't expect. So what if that continues in the fact that she really was the one seriously wronged by this? Brian, what's the spinoff? No, I don't. No, I don't. I, I, I'm not with you guys on the sequel. I, I like exactly where it left us. So Brian wants a different movie. He wants orange is the coolest color. <laughs> it is the newest black. So who is your MVP though, Brian? Is it Leah Sadu? Uh The feels. The feels. Okay. I, I love a movie that, that, yeah, I, I love a movie that can actually get me in the feels. I've stated several times I do not watch movies and I do not read books for emotional calisthenics. This was a very viscerally emotional film. And sometimes, and even I have to admit it, sometimes you need that. And, and this is where it was. Yep, he doesn't often go there, but this movie took him there. So I, I, I can, I can agree with that. This is an emotionally exhausting movie to do. It's long. It's yeah. I, I, there's a reason I don't pick these up every day, but I'm glad I did with this one. My MVP was right there with you, Bears, Adele Sarapoulos. I want to see more from this actress. I don't know if she wants to come over to the American film industry and do work, but boy, her facial acting, her unsureness, her her quietness, her support, her falling for somebody, the hurt, the curiosity, the insecurity, the the desperation. I mean, I'm I'm just, this is only a fraction of the tip of the iceberg. I mean, we're doing a lot of stuff here. And she does it all so well, as you mentioned, Barris. Yeah. So this is a good acting performance here. I don't know how the Oscars just totally missed this movie in terms of these kinds of awards, too, for like best actress and stuff like that. I mean, 10 years ago, they didn't often give as many accolades to films in another language. I think that's one thing we've seen in the last 10 years is that more film, more awards are going to things not written in English language. Interesting. Maybe they, they were awarded in their own country, and so we shouldn't negate that. I mean, this won some pretty heavy awards just from the European side. America so. isn't everything. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, I got to backpedal everything I just said. It, it, it's very accomplished. So, Best Supporting Actress. I mean, I think we know where this is going, but bears. Well, I mean, I kind of want to give this to like a comparison of two actors. Like, I really enjoyed the, the, the supporting roles of the parents in both families you know like the, the i think the performances were so strong to see the difference between what it was like to sit down to dinner in emma's family versus what it was like to sit down to dinner in adele's family and how different that was and the incredible awkwardness of adele's parents and the like just awful questioning that you do like you know oh well how are you going to make money doing art and those kind of i was so uncomfortable during that scene and i i think that comes from just really great performances and the, a very sense of truth, I think, of like caught in a awful dining situation with your parents, which I've definitely experienced. <laughs> so so I, I want to give the supporting award to both sets of parents. Nice. Yeah. What about you, Brian? I actually co-gave it to the main actresses in this film. It's you can't have one without the other. This would not be a film if you didn't have the counterbalance. So kudos. I boosted up Adele Exeropoulos more, but Leah Sadu is just as good, just as skilled. Her character does different things. 
she comes to the dance with all the things. She worked very hard at it, and so she's amazing at this. So she's technically my best supporting actor. Uh, she's kind of another lead. So I, I wasn't sure if this was a gray area, so I had like a backup. But uh, Jermaine Lahurete, who did Thomas, was really good. You know, he just did the I'm into you thing, which was it's low level. But he was asked to do intimate scenes himself. He's full frontal himself in there. And as well, uh, he comes, you know, he, he breaks down and cries and stuff like that on screen. And I felt for him. I felt for her. And it's just like, it was just like, oh, neither of you are bad people. This is just unfortunate. Yeah, that was a very real scene of, of being being in a moment where you're like, you realize it's not going to work. And you just, you feel bad for both of them there. You're I like, did. Oh, I want to get out of this right now. Yeah. Bail. That's another kind of hard breakup that this movie puts you through of just like, a, oh, nobody's at fault here. And it just hurts. <laughs> so, yeah. Hidden Gem, Bears. This is a hard one for me because I feel like, you know, he's very conscious of what he's putting on screen. So, like, there aren't a whole lot of minor cast members in this, you know? Like, how about if I say food? Food, you know, that counts. You talk like about the that. oysters and that sort of thing, and be and using using the oysters as a way to examine sexuality. I thought was really great, a really exciting scene, especially when you know at one dinner we hear, "Oh, I don't like shellfish," and then the very next thing is like, "Okay, let me kind of ease you into like shellfish, you know, with oysters and like bring you more into into this world." Yeah, Brian, how many, who or what is your hidden gem? This is also kind of a tandem, but only because one picks up where the other one left off. It's uh, Valentine's character as the only one really supporting her in her school days takes her to the club that she eventually leaves to go find Emma. And then he basically kind of tags out for Samir's character later on, who understands that maybe Adele's not quite being treated appropriately based on her age and experience and that sort of thing. And really goes out of his way to say, okay, I understand that you're not having fun at these parties because you don't know these people and talk the way they do. And even though I can, I disdain it to a certain level that I'm going to hang out with you instead. So there, there are a couple gay male actors who basically kind of hold her hand through some of these times where she has no one, including her significant others, to do so. And I really liked that piece. Great point, by the way. Mine's going to be hair. Leah Sadu's hair is precise. It's confident. It's different. It's signaling different. It says, I don't want to conform. I'm going to live proudly this way with my blue hair. And you'll see me across the street. And, you know, it's a big theme throughout the movie. And similarly, Adele, perhaps less overly stated, is messy. She hides behind her hair locks. Like they kind of go in front of her face. It's charming in its own way. She's a very pretty woman. It's the best messy hair I've ever seen in my life. Like, it is, she's, it, like mess, it, she's like, oh, is it messy enough? And I'm like, oh God, it's perfect again. Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter what you do. I also, I was also something where like, gosh, that is, uh, that's very nice hair. So, um, but you're right. There was no makeup artist. There was no hairstylist on set. And the actresses were not allowed to wear any makeup as part of this movie. They're just pretty. I mean, that's just who they are. And I mean, again, it just compounds the realism that this movie has and the amount of expression that they get from not speaking in their faces, but also in what they're wearing and what their hair is doing. It conveys so much about their character with what they're saying. I mean, this is good directing, but credit to them. I mean, they help put up their own outfits and do the stuff collectively again they're working on it for like a whole year yeah but i mean that's like you know that's the classic indie film sort of mentality of like 
well, my wardrobe is what I wear. You know, my wardrobe is what I have in my own wardrobe. And my character is is who I am. Oh, oh now it's now we're actually going to name it after me. You know, I mean, like, to me, that's just like working on a indie film. And so I love that. But if you look up Del Exeropoulos, I mean, she's a very glamorous, pretty lady. So, I mean, this is dressing down for her. So maybe maybe not at age 18. I don't know. Yeah, maybe not when she made this movie. She wasn't. Yeah, you're, maybe not. You're right. This, this certainly would have brought her some serious attention. All right. If you had to recast somebody and put somebody else in their place, Brian, who would it be? And you are allowed to jump the pool and come to America if you need to, by the way, because it makes it easier. I actually initially when watching this, I couldn't remember what year it came out. So when I first started watching this, I had to look it up because I thought Adele was a young Alicia Vikander. Mm. It looked so much like her to me. And I was like, oh, and then I looked it up and I was like, oh, I'm just wrong. And I was like, this is a great opportunity to completely punt on recast because I don't have a good one. So I'm just going to say I'm going to recast her with the person I thought she was. I like that. Pierce, who would you recast? My first answer was going to be I wouldn't recast anyone because this is this is perfect. But I am going to say I'm going to cheat and recast it for an American remake. Okay. And say if I was going to do an American remake of this right now, I'm casting Kristen Stewart as Emma. And I'm casting Hunter Schaefer from Euphoria as Adele. Hunter Schaefer plays Jules uh, and is also trans. So that would add another little wrinkle to it. But that's my recast as, as a couple. I think uh, the age difference is right. And that I think they they both have done some explicit scenes and, and they uh, both could convey the emotion of this. So that's my American version. Somebody hire me to direct it. I'm ready to go. Okay. Yeah. And I went lower stakes than that, but I love what you did. I kind of wish I had put some thought into that direction. But the character, Amelie, Fanny Moran, she's the girl who has the more round face. She's got darker hair and she's kind of the major instigator of like pushing the questions to her friends. Like she's the, I would say she's the lead bully of like, you know, say, Hey, how was your sex? The one I wanted socked in the face. Yeah. Hey, how? No, no, not the one who got all crying and like you, you were, you were sleeping next to me. Not that girl. This was the other girl who was like with the cigarette, like being like, Hey, how is your sex? Tell us about, tell us about that. I was like, Ugh. <laughs> these are conversations that men don't tend to have in these sort of things but it's just like man that doesn't she doesn't want to talk about it get off of it so i also felt mad at her but i thought margaret Qualley from uh, once upon a time in hollywood might be a good person to do for mm. so why did i pick on her i just felt like it's a demanding role and maybe this character didn't bring it as much as obviously the leads did in some of these other really great support characters such as the parents did so young actors are tougher though again it's not necessarily a glamorous movie but what do you feel like is the best shot bears there's a shot early in the movie where adele is writing in her journal which you know becomes a plot point a little bit later but she's like basically sitting on her desk at the window so you can see you can see a little bit of the french countryside behind her but it's that first that moment of like i think i i think i have found something someone and i'm going to be alone with my thoughts for a moment and i just love that idea of a young girl journaling and it's you know she's at profile it's just a really it's a it's a beautiful moment early in the film where it just draws you into her i think really well yeah i don't know if you remember that one it's very you know yeah how about you brian what's your best shot i really liked the setup for the obsession that ends up being their relationship where they're passing each other on the crosswalk and you had both of them kind of do the, oh, oh yeah, 
Yeah, they definitely said this is going to be important. Right. <laughs> like, you knew it the first time you watched it. I figured, Brian, you were going to do the depressed walking away into the distance. Um, I, the, thought, uh, I, I, I really thought you were the going incredible there. Hulk, the you, incredible love Hulk a, you, love, you love a dark down ending. I, I do. I, I, and I, I love the sad walking away scene. I do. It, it's. I thought you were going to do that. You even said it earlier. I was like, oh, that's his best shot. No, but it's but it's also a piece to say that, you know, for every sad walking away scene, you have to have a Pac-Man they meet, you know, and okay. that was the they meet because I don't think I, I'm not sure if anybody would walk away from this movie and say they should never have done what they did. No, no, I think that was one of the mature things about that in the end. Yeah, you know, you don't get a really heartfelt sad walking away scene unless you've loved to the extent that they loved. And that was the, the point of the film. Absolutely. You know, people talk about the meet cute in the romantic comedy, you know, being kind of a trope, but it's a trope because it is a real thing. I mean, we do all have moments where we meet the person we're going to be with and it is a cute moment because we retell that story. You know, that's, that's what it is. And I think we see a very, a really beautiful interaction with them when they, when, when they finally get to talk for the first time. Yeah. My best shot's going to be got to be the park bench when Emma draws Adele. I'm a sucker for all the good feels. So this is when it felt the best. So best scene, Bears. Why don't you go first, Russell? I, well, this never happens. I'm You do it. I, it's just pandemonium. I know. You always, but yet you're just in control and you're like, you, 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 and you always go last. I'm like, I, I want to see your best scene first. In a weird way. Behind the curtain, sometimes people take my choice and I act like they don't. But um, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, I love it. So my best scene is when Adele's friends grill her for the unknown. Let's just say masculine friends, a nicer way of saying it, the show. And she's upset that she's being pushed away from her friends for being lesbian inside. She, she denies it to her friends and the bullying. It is just so painful and it is just so visceral and. It's just one of those moments where you sit there as a human being and you sit there and go like, man, it's real. Why does the world have to be that way? I hate all of that. Yeah, that's my best scene. It's not a doesn't feel good. But I mean, this movie made me really feel for these are shoes that I guess I just didn't put myself into very much. And this movie forced me to think about those things. And that's a pretty powerful thing to do. Absolutely. Yeah, my best scene is also one that isn't the happy feels and it's when they re-meet and Adele basically tries to get Emma to come back to her, including sucking on her fingers, you know, just going all in on making this happen. And the fact that it doesn't work, you know, I just think Note that, to self, if you're trying to win somebody back, sucking their fingers doesn't. I, do, I mean, I, but to me, it all, it feels, it felt like it should have, like, I was like, Oh, that's going to work. You know, I really thought that that scene was great because you see how much control Emma has had of that relationship the whole time. And I don't think Adele realized it. I think Adele really did think she was coming into this meeting and was probably going to be able to get her back. And I think at the end of it, then she realizes, Oh, I'm never going to get her back. And, it, and so by the time she comes to the gallery scene, the big ending scene, it's fairly obvious that she doesn't think she's going to get her back. She is definitely old history. And there's that moment of like, Oh, there you are. You're still on the wall. You know, you still made the wall. You're still a memory for Emma, but that's just one painting out of an entire gallery of experiences. Yeah, you're right. Brian, how about you? What's your best scene? Uh, it's the art discussion when they're talking about it. Clement is, he, he's very much about covered, less exposed, yellow showing light. And 
basic fear basic fears of exposure while shalil is raw not nude or not necessarily nude but sharp wedges angles colors meant to imbue harsher frame and an object and i feel like it's interesting because that's what emma's work that she ends up getting displayed is Mm -hmm. and it's the one that she says she doesn't like but it's the one that lee likes and yeah that's the the direction her art takes and yeah that's a good point best wardrobe or makeup moment i gushed about hair already but um bears this is another one of me playing with your categories i'm gonna say my best wardrobe make moment is the in the six and a half minute sex scene when they're completely naked and we are just left to look at their beautiful bodies rubbing up against each other and it's just in your face like look look how comfortable these actresses are look how how comfortable these women are with each other you know if you if you're inside the movie you know you can't escape it and i i just love a movie that just calls you out on it and i you know it's especially as an american like you said it, this movie is just it's just like how much can you take and i love that i love to be challenged Okay. Yeah. And that is a fair thing to say is, you know, uh, we often say, what's your favorite music or whatever. And people will say the absence of music. So yes, the absence of wardrobe certainly counts as best wardrobe moment. Brian, how about you? Uh, it's the blue dress. This will be my sad walking away scene. It's the, he had to give it some attention. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the ode to what was once lost. You know, this is, this is something that attracted me to you in the first place it's something that I felt that it meant something to you at the time. So I'm trying still desperately in vain to rekindle something. So I will wear it here. And, and I love the moment of before she goes to the party and she's looking at herself in the dress and thinking about it, you know, I, I, this, I, you know, she knows that that dress is important. <laughs> she knows that that wardrobe moment is important before she goes into the scene. I love it. I've kind of spoiled mine ahead of time, but I'd had to double down to say hair. It says so much. But shout out to to Leah Sadu's wardrobe that she wears, the, the confidence and stuff that she has. You know, she's attractive in that too. So it works. Change one thing, bears. This is hard because I think this is a pretty perfect movie. And the thing I want to change is the bullying from the friends, and that's because it's just so, so hard to watch. And I, I think if this movie was being made now, that scene would be very different, simply because we've evolved since then but also i think we're very conscious of of bullying and how we talk about it and how we how we portray it now so i'd i'd be curious to see how what that scene would how that scene would play i still think it's a sad unfortunate reality with a lot of social circles in a lot of places still yeah i don't know i don't know if it is in france how about that you might have your geography and your people but for the rest of those geographies and the rest of the social circles out there it's sadly too real still probably but yeah um yeah brian change one thing you know for all of the very personal shots that the director uses in this film the ones of her sleeping with her mouth open drove me nuts i i I don't know why i had such a problem with it but i like i would cut every single sleeping with the mouth like you shoot her from a different angle i don't know what it is but i was just sitting there like shut your mouth don't (laughs) i don't know i don't know why it bothered me so much but literally after like the 10th one i was like art do it again do it again i i dare you to do it again you're gonna say the bullying girl that you really hated to have a pigeon flag well, no, no, no. i mean i i definitely still think she should have gotten slugged by somebody else but that's right um 
no, no. I just, dude, I, I don't know why that graded on me so much, but they did it like two dozen times. And it, I was just like, oh, he's doing it again. Here, we got another one. We got it. And it's, I, I don't know if it's just mouth shape and the teeth. I it just, I drove me nuts. I don't know. I'm probably going to take some heat for this one. Um, but if you want to watch blatant girl on girl scenes, there are other movies that are strictly of a different kind of entertainment that are that do that do that. And I, I think that this movie gets attention for things or for shock value or, and I don't want to cheapen the characters. And so I think some of them are just a little bit too long and that they go beyond serving the characters in the plot, I think is all I'll say. My American guilt can't totally be overcome by a set there and said, well, that's a lot. So um, I think, I think if we dial it down, I mean, it is 22 minutes or whatever of, of straight up sex in this movie. I mean, but the movie's three hours. That's fair. So, that, that's also no. fair. But I mean, that that's another point. Like you could trim some movie down or give me one additional scene to show me what happens to Adele in 20 more years. I really need that. Although most, yeah, most of the sex is in the first half too. That's another thing. So it feels like more of it because that's when they were happy, right? Oh yeah. So I think it's it's a little front loaded. Yeah. So anyway, sorry for that one. I know that that's missing the point. Um, but sorry, this is super random, but I think Florence Pugh would also make a very good Emma. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I see that for sure. Best quote. Bears. What was the first time that you tasted sausage? <laughs> a girl. <laughs> That's a, I mean, like, especially cause they're eating at the time and they're talking about food. Food is such a part of this. And so when, when they're asking each other about their, their past, and uh, Adele wants to know about like when Emma knew she was lesbian. It's as she's eating sausage. So it's just and, and, and Adele talks about it as tasting a girl. And Emma says, oh, you mean do you mean kiss? You know, so I just that was a really great scene between the two of them. And that's, I thought it was kind of funny. I actually said, I wonder if that's part of the translation. I'm curious to know maybe what that was in the original. Yeah, I, I didn't do well in French class. I'm not going to lie. So I, I'll, I'll defer to Brian on that one. His French must have been better. Oh, than mine, no, you really don't want to. <laughs> Brian, best quote. Regret is about not filling the emptiness in your heart. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. I went with the more poetic one when Emma says, nothing happens by chance. Bears, we've come a long way here. Please tell our listeners one more time. Remind everybody about Aglyph, the All Genders, Lifestyles, and Identities Film Festival in Austin. The oldest queer festival in the Southwest, the fourth oldest in the country, and it is August 23rd through the 27th. We're going to have all sorts of great queer films all weekend long at the Galaxy Theater, and uh, I'm excited. We're actually doing a 10th anniversary screening of a film called GBF, which is Gay Best Friend, which is a film that premiered at Tribeca. It's super funny. And it's, it was one of my first like gay films that I like programmed at a festival. So I it was so it's an exciting film for me because I was working at a different film festival at the time. And I was like, I want to play this gay movie and I want to put it at the big theater. And I don't care if you think that that won't sell tickets. So, so I'm excited to be bringing that film back in a, in a 10th year anniversary, which also we should mention, this is the 10th year anniversary of Blue is the Warmest Color, too. Yes, it is, um, which is as new as we go, by the way. This is the new retro. So this is, oh yeah, okay. it, you just made the cutoff with, with the newness here. And this is going to air after the festival is unfortunately over by the time we edit and get this out there. So, well, then I'm going to say go back and look up GBF from Darren Stein, who's also responsible for Jawbreaker, which is a great cult classic. He really knows high school clicks. 
and the danger of, uh, you know, falling in and out of step with them. But this lives forever, so it will be back the following year. So August is the time when you want to keep your heads open for this one, right? That's right. Yep. Your eyes open, your heads up. I don't know why I said heads up or eyes open. I don't know. I messed that up. So anyway, on a five-star scale with half-star intervals, Bears, what would you give this movie? Uh, I'm giving it a, a four and a half. And I think that my only reason to not go perfection on it is three hours is a real long time for me, even though the I forgot I was watching credits. Uh, I thought I forgot I was watching sub, subtitles, uh, but I, I, I did still feel the length of the three hours. And, and I, I think thinking about it, I like it because I like to spend time with the actors like that. And like I said, but but it is I think that's maybe maybe there's a two hour and 40 minute version of this film that doesn't take out any of the sex. I disagree <laughs> with you. Um, but it does it does tighten some other things up. I think I think some of the scenes, some of the group scenes maybe were longer than they needed to be. Last 35 minutes or so is, is a little bit rough after they break up. Like, like we get it. We feel bad for what's happening to Adele. Yeah. Like the scene of her like just going through the motions at work, you kind of have to be happy for kids there. But like the emptiness that she feels inside is like, oh, like this is this is hard. I feel for you. So, yeah. Um, Ryan, how are you? Five star scale. Half star intervals. Uh, I gave this one a solid four. There's not a whole lot I would change to this. We've already gone over some of my issues in terms of making this a easily rewatchable film and, and something that's frankly accessible to people like me who don't want to maybe get branded <laughs> as it being something else. So, uh, you know, it, it's tough in that way, but this is a really good movie. I like these, the show, these movies, it broadens our horizons. There's no genre or type of movie that we won't cover, and I, I, I've had a lot of fun doing this. Except Leprechaun too. That's not a good movie. But anyway. Um, you sorry. said there's nothing you wouldn't cover. No, I said I like all the things that we are, we broaden our horizons and the things that we get to cover and expose us to new things and to you know study things that we love closer. So none of that includes Leprechaun, by the way. But anyway. Um, so, but I, I wrote down three and a half, but I realized in talking to this, it doesn't necessarily feel good and I can't dock a movie just for not feeling good. It hit me in the feels in a very real way that I won't forget. It won't rewatch this movie probably because it is so long. And because like Fry said, it's not the kind of movie you sit there and you grab your family and say, Hey, you haven't seen this. Let's watch this So <laughs> together. So I, I do think I may have docked a little hard and I think in talking about it, and how real it felt, how unforgettable it is. I'm going to go up to join you, Brian, the four tier as well. So I'm glad I could bring this film to you guys. Yeah. Brian, do you want to help me pick a movie for next time? Of course. So the 80s was a time for great funny movies. Are you so you ready for some three 80s comedy films here? Let's do it. Option one, Airplane from 1980. After a crew becomes sick with food poisoning, a neurotic ex-fighter pilot must land a commercial airline full of passengers to safety. Option two, Caddyshack, also from 1980. An exclusive golf course has to deal with a brash new member, a destructive dancing gopher, and a lot of mayhem. Just fun stuff. Option three, The Naked Gun, from the files of the police squad of 1988. Incompetent police detective Frank Darabin must foil an attempt to assassinate Queen Elizabeth II. Better be Caddyshack. I'm all right. Don't have to worry about me. All right, Bears, thank you so much for joining us. We had a blast. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on again. And 
To all the Lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, we invite you to reach out to us. So we want to hear from you. So subscribe, rate, and review to us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe to us on our YouTube channel as well. Like us on Facebook, Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at, at movie underscore retro. And their little weird new logo that looks like the Xerox symbol that's going to be an X and not the little cute Twitter bird anymore. So I don't, I don't like it. I don't like the X. Emails at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. And producing and providing this podcast is fun but not free. We invite you to support the show at our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash retromovieroundtable. All contributions are much appreciated and go towards making the show better for you, the listeners. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Brian? Whatever machination that created us has but one irrevocable flaw, the invention of love that cannot be equally satiated and cannot be repeated once found, it is to be that once acquired to be sought after hence.